welcome to our summer 2022 podcast summer replay series. Now I'm off over the summer taking a break from podcasting so I can get a little bit of inspiration for September and I wanted to share with you some of our most popular episodes this year but also some of the episodes I think will give you some hope, some inspiration and maybe a little bit of a challenge over the summer. We'll be back in September with loads more about how to accept stuff that's outside our control, how to embrace our limits, set boundaries and say no. So we've got a packed schedule lined up for you in the autumn and as well as our podcast Summer Replay series, we've also put together a summer survival guide which contains our top tips for how to thrive and rest over the summer as well as some suggestions for some podcasts, films and TV series which we've enjoyed. That's free to download in the link in the show notes. Have a great summer. I'll see you in September and enjoy the replays. It's really great to have with me back on the podcast, Dr. Sarah Golding. Now, Sarah's a career coach for doctors. She's a practicing GP. She's a training program director and an appraiser and a mentor. So welcome back, Sarah. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And I'm just wondering how you fit all that in. It's a carefully woven portfolio that actually, it wouldn't suit everybody, but it keeps me going and it's really flexible and I love it. Well, we've got you back, Sarah, because your episodes have been incredibly popular and I think there's a real interest in career development and also these sort of mindsets that we get in that stop us, you know, creating a really happy working life for ourselves. And one of the things I know me and you have been talking about a lot is imposter syndrome this phrase imposter syndrome and actually it bugs me a bit and I'm gathering it bugs you too is that right yeah I think it's a phrase that we it feels like it's been around forever and I feel like it's it's used and abused and I think it can really hold people back potentially um I think we know that about 70% of us will have it. It's not gender specific. It's not specific to any particular role. So is it actually time to get rid of imposter syndrome? And I would argue, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when people use it, what do they typically mean? Yeah, so the classic, and I think it came about in the sort of 70s, 80s, and it's taken to mean, I am functioning in a way where I don't actually have the skills that people are expecting me to, and I'm going to be found out. So it's a fear of being found out as a fraud. Um, I'm not capable in the capacity usually related to work in which I'm employed. So it's the sort of blanket phrase used when everyone's a bit uncertain about their own ability, basically. I think so, but I think it's a lot more complex than that. And I think that's me kind of banging the drum here is to try and really drill down if that's the word that's popping into your head or the phrase or somebody else is giving it to you or labeling you with that what do you actually mean by that because I think there are myriad other things that could be going on in that situation yeah and when people typically come to you either in appraisals, for mentoring or for coaching, and they're talking about the fact that they think they've got imposter syndrome, what are the sort of spectrums of issues that you see that they've just put this blanket Mm. label on? I think it's classically when people are moving up into a new role 
and they are getting themselves really, really stressed about it. And they go home, they can't stop thinking about something they've done, they've not done. What might their colleagues be thinking of them because other people are bound to be perfect and I'm not? So that's one of the assumptions. But I think it can also come about when there are people that are thinking about going for roles and they then also make assumptions that they, they aren't capable, they're not worthy, they don't have what it takes to step up into those roles or step sideways. So a lot of it is around self-doubt. A lot of it is around fear. But as you were saying that, I've just been making some notes, you know, you're moving up into a new role thinking, well, I'm not qualified for this. Well, you know, at the very heart of it, you will be qualified because no one would employ you in that role if you didn't have the qualifications. So when we're saying I'm not qualified, it means am I good enough at what I do to do this? And I just look at this thinking, well, of course you're not, right? Because if you're moving up to be a manager or a leader or say a clinical director, you've never done that role before. So you probably don't have all the skills that you need for that role, right? You're probably going to have to learn some. It's like when you're a junior doctor, when you're starting with your FY job, well, yeah, you're qualified in that you've got the, the, the medical qualification, you've passed your, your exams and you've done your sort of skills training. But oh my goodness, how much stuff do you need to learn on the job to be competent in that role. And no one ever expects you to have all that knowledge before you start. And I think this idea that we have to be qualified or completely competent before we move into any role is just, just ridiculous. I mean, am I alone in thinking that? No, not at all. And I think, I think particularly as medics, we're, we're funneled through this training system where it's very outcome-based. Once you have passed this exam, you are then worthy of doing X, Y, Z. And so I think it's particularly common when people have sort of reached what they consider or what the hierarchy considers the pinnacle because they get there and then they're expected to do more stuff, maybe extra responsibilities, maybe more challenging things that there isn't an exam for. There's not a course for this. So how do I prove that I'm good enough? How do I prove that I have the per personal skills? to perform highly in the way that I would like to. And I think that can be challenging, particularly for medics, and I'm sure it's true in other high-stress careers. There isn't a piece of paper that's going to tell you, okay, now you've got what it takes. Yeah, and the problem is you don't get enough feedback ever, really, do you? Positive or negative to have something to benchmark against and benchmark your progress, like, am I good enough? Am I doing what needs doing? And I think we always underestimate or we mostly underestimate our own abilities but also we don't give ourselves a break and go well of course I'm not good enough because I've not done it before therefore I'm not good enough yet mm. but I'm gonna practice but we find it very difficult to say this yet thing and I think there possibly are some people that get this mindset more than others I mean the the, the obvious thing to quote is and I don't know what study it was from looking at when men and women are applying for a new job, men will often apply to something aspirational that think, yeah, I'll be able to do that in the future. Women won't apply for something unless they know for sure that they can do it now. Absolutely. There are so many elements to this. We could talk for days about it, but we're often perfectionists when we're in these high stress jobs. And so we will be incredibly hard on ourselves 
there's a lot of critical self-chatter and we may be falsely extrapolating, okay, well, I perceive that something I did at this time didn't go well. Therefore, that means I'm never going to be good at anything. Or, or my parents held me to a very high standard of education. That's how I ended up being a medic. Therefore, I have to keep pushing myself because unless I do, I'm not worthy of praise. So there, are, it's just a very complex area. And also, there's, so that's the internal stuff. And then I think it's really important to look at the external. And I think we both acknowledge, you know, we're both white, middle class, cishet women from a position of privilege. And we will look around us and see a lot of people like us, not as many as men as we see. But there are lots of other people who will not see people like them around them. And there are systems that are not set up for them to succeed in. So in a very real way, they may not feel that they are the right fit for the job because they can't see anybody else like them doing it yet. That's such a good point. I remember reading an article, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review. I think I, think I shared it with you, Sarah, written by a black woman. And it was, stop telling me I have imposter syndrome <laughs> when everything in this workplace is set up to tell me that I'm not good enough or to put barriers in my way. But I'm told the problem lies with me. And that was a really powerful article. Yeah, I, I think this is where it's really key. If somebody feels that they identify with the title imposter syndrome, and I know it's really common whenever I've put polls on my Instagram about it or ask friends, they say, oh, yeah, of course. Almost like it's a badge of honor. But who's given you that label? Is it you? Or has it come externally and actually it has more of a toxic connotation and that it suits other people to put you in that box because it makes you feel unworthy and therefore that's an advantage to an organisation or, or another person. Yeah, because if you could just say to someone, well, it, it's you, you know, Sarah, if you just had a little bit more self-confidence in your mm. own ability, then actually, you know, probably you'd be performing better and you'd be able to sort these issues out with your team. <laughs> no, meanwhile. The team is like half of their members have left because of stress and everyone's infighting and then there's toxic management. But Sarah, I think you've got imposter syndrome here and you just need to sort yourself out. Yeah, I hear that so much, certainly in my mentoring role, young salary GPs who are told, well, oh, well, everybody else is fine. Maybe, maybe it's you. And when you actually go deeper into what's going on in the organisation and how they're valuing people, the quality of the conversations they're having, how people perceive themselves to be valued and what that shows up as. There's a whole set of other things going on. And, and it's in the practice's best interest to have other people feeling that it's them. So it's not imposter syndrome, it's gaslighting. Yeah, absolutely. And that situation, I would strongly agree. Yeah. And it's just so difficult to separate out because you've in that practice that you've just, you know, talked about very, very common scenario, it's probably a bit of both. The system is not set up. And also that that new portfolio GP has got some self-doubt and is maybe a bit more reticent and worried because of stuff that's happened in the past. Because when they've tried to speak up, they've been quashed, they've been told, like you said, everybody else can manage it. So you do start to doubt your own ability and Doubting your own ability is almost a normal part of being human, I think. 
So we're then pathologizing a sort of normal psychological process. Absolutely. And actually, let's let's be honest, sometimes there are advantages to feeling, you know, that you're not quite good enough. It can really spur you on. It can make you do work harder, try harder. You can do things that feel uncomfortable. So it may have pushed us through quite a lot of difficult situations in the past. Um, You know, does it make you focus more or putting you into an uncomfortable situation that because you're you're expecting, okay, well, that's what I have to go through. You're tolerating more discomfort than perhaps some might feel comfortable with. So sometimes there's an advantage, but I'd I'd rebadge it as self-doubt or you know, understandable worries about a new situation. And I think what we were talking about before is this concept of growth mindset. I'm not there yet. But when you speak to leaders, you know, Beyonce has to go on stage with an alter ego, Sasha Fierce, because even Beyonce doesn't feel enough as herself. So these incredible people, everybody will say, I have elements of doubt. So you're othering yourself by saying, I'm pretty sure it's just me. And I think that's where connections and speaking to other people can be so helpful in terms of not normalizing it, but maybe just, you know, ripping that plaster off and going, it's not that, it's something else. And what can what can be done about it? Yeah, it's just sort of recalibrating the way we think about ourselves, isn't it? Because you obviously don't want to think too much of yourself. <laughs> and particularly in Britain, we, we don't like show-offs, do we? We don't like people that think they are amazing, that are boasting about stuff, that can't ever learn anything because they think they're always right. I mean, that is, that is not good. But nor is it good to be that person who's so self-obsessed that they won't ever do anything or put themselves out because what might people think about me or what if I fail? And I think that's another side of the same coin in terms of self-obsession and neither is neither is right but I think it's bad to be self-obsessed in that really sort of proud I'm amazing way but I think it's almost pretty bad to be really self-obsessed in that oh I can't possibly fail and what will people think because Mm. then you're just not giving yourself to other people in the way that you should be the world can't use your unique skills and abilities And it's completely paralyzing. I think it's so common. And I think I know we talked before about burnout and how actually when you really identify, I am my career, I am a doctor, and you believe the, you know, martyrdom, you receive and you staple onto your shoulders the cape of heroism that you then build up your own inner story about what that means and what that has to look like. And it's often reinforced, you know, as a mum at the school gates in the past, I've had people going, oh, well, come on, Sarah, can you tell me about this? Even though I'm in mum duty or calling me for a problem when I'm not on call, I'm not on call for the whole world. You know, I'm a mum, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm a mother. I think we need to be, we need to have a filter, a healthy filter through which we decide what, external messages really mean for us but also crucially and this is what I'm really passionate about with my coaching and mentoring is helping people look at what what really is important to them because 
helping them look at the consequences. Okay, so if you have to be perfect all the time, what is realistic about that? And what does it mean if, heaven forbid, you are not perfect? What then? What does that mean about your self-esteem? And helping them really get to terms with what that means, because I think sometimes, again, we can take perfectionism on as a as a badge of pride. Oh, I'm a is that classic thing in an interview? What are your faults? Oh, I'm a perfectionist. It's a, it's one of the ones that's supposed to be. <laughs> I'm so you know. bad because I do everything to such high level that yeah. you know it's a real fault of mine that I'm just <laughs> so yeah. damn brilliant actually. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas those people can be the hardest to work with because they can crystallize themselves into this image and actually be a bit judgy of others. But actually, we are just human beings and we are going to do our best and we are allowed to grow and evolve and change. And goodness me, haven't we changed a lot and had to grow in the last couple of years? Um, And actually, I think that's really healthy. And I know there have been some incredibly hard times and identifying as a doctor is a big risk factor for burnout, but so is perfectionism. And it's it's reminding yourself that it, it ain't all good. Yeah. So I'm just writing my own new definition of imposter syndrome. Let me try it out mm. with you, Sarah. This might be completely wrong. Rather than it being about this, this belief that we're going to be found out at any point that we're not quite as good as we're telling other people we are or, you know, actually... Imposter syndrome is more like an unhealthy belief that you need to be perfect in all situations and that it's not okay to fail at anything. Oh, I love that one. I'm not very good at coming up with a pithy definition because equally, I would change that into something about something in an internal fixed unhealthy belief and more along the perfectionism Mm. bit or an externally given label somewhere along the lines of being in a toxic culture or, you know, you being in a minority. I'd want to pay tribute to the external factors too. Yeah. So it's either an unhealthy internal belief that you've got to be perfect or an Mm. unhealthy external label label from a toxic culture to absolve them of any blame whatsoever. Yes. I like that. Mm. Okay. So given that we can only control what we do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You know, it would be nice to be able to control those toxic cultures that are giving us those labels. But unfortunately, we don't quite yet have the ability to control other people's minds or actions. (laughs) Although I'm sure uh, Facebook are working on that as we speak. Um, (laughs) What do we do? What do we do? So let's ditch the whole imposter thing that I'm going to be found out and let's just label it. That's just normal to, to, to have some self-doubt and actually normal. And it's quite helpful because it lets us grow as long as we don't think that it's an issue that we have those beliefs, as long as we keep with the growth mindset that it's okay to need to do some development in various areas. In fact, nobody comes as a fully formed thing. So let's stick with growth mindset. Mm-hmm. What do we do about it then? I think if we're sticking with the internal Mm -hmm. aspects of it, I think it's really getting those thoughts out of your head and and going, what assumptions are you making here? Because so much of them are false. I'm assuming everybody else has got it sorted. Nobody ever has doubts. 
And as we know from medical exams, whenever something says nobody, never or always, Mm -hmm. that's the wrong answer. So I think the power to really inspect your thoughts and make choices about how you are going to choose kinder self-chatter. And there are lots of different ways of doing that. But helping yourself tune into what am I telling myself to be true and what is true? Mm. Or can I let that thought just go by and go, oh, okay, that's an interesting one. Off you go. So how do you spot those unhelpful thoughts? How would you get a thought and go, that's not helpful, that is? Yeah, I think it's like a muscle. And, you know, one of the ways of doing this is mindfulness. There's a lot of evidence about the value of mindfulness and your neuroplasticity in terms of helping you create new patterns of thinking. Some people find journaling incredibly helpful just put it all down on a piece of paper. Don't necessarily look at it, but just note with interest what comes up without having any, any judgment to it. There's doing it. I, I work well with talking to other people because as it comes out, I know what I think and I don't necessarily know that. And I think those are some of the ways and obviously through speaking to friends, colleagues or mentors or coaches can help you pick those up. And just sharing your thoughts with trusted colleagues or allies and going, I've been feeling a bit of this. Is that, do you feel like that? And do you feel like we should be feeling that way? But being clear on why you're asking that question without having to pursue the external validation, just having a bit of that triangulation, because I think it's incredibly powerful normalizing these feelings. And we know that over 70% of people um, have these perfectionist have these perfectionist imposter syndrome type thoughts. So we're in the majority. And I think if we normalize it, it's going to take the power away. I'm interested you said triangulation because when we did the podcast about gaslighting with James Costello, he talked about triangulation there as well. That really important thing about knowing that it's not just you. And so you would triangulate with gaslighting to know it's not just you, but you can triangulate with your own thoughts to realise that it's not just you as well. And I guess that that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, right? And I've had lots and lots of emails from people going, thank you, because it's made me feel I'm not alone. And I think it's really important that we get together with our peers and our colleagues and we're honest about what we're feeling, the, the stories going on in our head. Not because, like you said, we don't want people to go, oh, no, no, Rachel, you're wonderful. Don't worry. You know, although that's very nice. You want people to reflect back the stories in your head or maybe the stories in their head. And when you hear someone else saying it, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. Why are you telling me you can't get that wrong? How are you supposed to know? You've only been in that job for three months. You know, and then it's suddenly, oh, yeah, that's true. That's made me feel a lot better. It's quite difficult to do that for yourself, isn't it? It is. And I think it's so healthy when you're as a leader to role model that vulnerability and say, you know, at sometimes when you go through your career, you feel like you should know everything because you've got the experience, you've got all of this time that you've spent in mastery of your job. But actually, one of the red flags for me as an appraiser of over 10 years is if somebody can't find an area for them to improve on, then I'm worried. 
because it means that they they think they've got it all sorted and that has that fixed mindset and isn't willing to challenge. And I think as parents, we're always espousing this way of thinking to our children. Okay, well, you can't do it now yet, but you will do and keep going. And that discomfort is really normal. And as human beings, we are not set in stone. We are allowed to evolve and improve. And I think one of the downsides of some of this toxic positivity that you can see around, you have to always be smiley and grateful and everything has to feel amazing or, you know, you're, you're, you're failing. I think permission to be kind to ourselves and go, there's a discomfort here. What is that discomfort? Because some of this might be that you're not in the right organization. You're not working in a team that you feel values you, that allows you to be your best self, that actually maybe you're not very interested in the job you're doing, or you find it incredibly stressful and you're just not at your point of thriving and comfort and you're not able to perform because of where you are in your your career. That is really interesting to me because I have had coaches in the past who have been in incredibly, incredibly tough jobs that are burning them out, that obviously they're not a very good fit for, but they're sitting there going, I must make this work. I must make this work. And they have been told well either they told themselves or they have literally been told by their boss well don't say managed to do it so what's Mm. wrong with you and then they'll say oh I've got such imposter syndrome because you know I don't think I should be here and it's like it's not imposter syndrome it's the truth but the truth is and it's not because you're not good enough Uh, 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 it's because this job does not suit you and your unique skills and abilities and strengths it's not that you're not good enough and I've noticed that so many people won't leave a difficult, bad, bad situation because they will not accept the fact that they need to leave because they feel like they failed because Mm. it's all about I'm not good enough. But it's nothing to do with not being good enough. It's just to do with this job 100% doesn't suit you. Have you found that as well? Absolutely. I think there's such a sense, and this is really such a... uh, kind of 1950s, Victorian era, you have a career, you stay in your path, no matter what. And there's this concept that even if you're, you know, at the top of it, in inverted commas, you should stay there, even if you're blooming miserable. I certainly felt like that as a partner when I wasn't happy and I burnt out. I thought, oh, it's just because I'm rubbish. Everybody else around me seems to be doing it well. And it's that availability and confirmation bias. You're in this role and you can see other people that seem to be doing it and enjoying it. I'm the odd one out. It must be because I'm not good enough somehow or I'm a failure or they appointed me and I wasn't the right fit. Whereas actually it's totally okay to not want to be where you are. And absolutely, I have loads of conversations about this. Oh, maybe I won't be happy in any job. That's really not what I see. I've seen people move teams. I've seen people move career paths. I've also seen people have a look at what's making them unhappy, what they can control, and make little changes that have big effects in their their satisfaction. But 
that's why I'm so passionate, really. I think we're both on the same hymn sheet here about just, you know, what is it? What's going on for you here? And what's the discomfort? Yeah. I just really wish that people could get into their heads that when they are struggling with a role, it's not that they are defective or broken as a human being. It's that they are a human being with unmet needs. And what's happening is that their body and their brains are just doing what a normal and body and brain would do under that situation. But people take it as I am weak. I am not good enough. I can't cope. And it's really nothing to do with you can't cope. It's to do with you reacting completely normally as anyone with your particular makeup would be reacting in this situation. But we feel it as a failure. Absolutely. And I certainly felt that way. I felt very ashamed. And when I left my job, when I didn't really know what I was going to, when I burnt out. So that's why I'm so passionate about talking about it. And I've had people say to me, I've been off for six months. I was miserable in my job, but I thought it was just me. You're the first person that's ever talked about it. And you just think, this isn't how it should be. And I really, I I also feel that we should kind of have something along the lines of supervision, you know, or build in either career counselling or a a space in which to examine your feelings on a regular basis. When when we're in these high stress situations, we have a huge amount of responsibility. Where do we get that support? How do we be kind to ourselves? I think a lot of this comes down to self-compassion. But it's very hard to do that when you might feel that you're working in a broader organisation that doesn't necessarily care about that or doesn't feel like it gives much attention to it. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Sarah. One of the things that has constantly surprised me having trained as a coach is, you know, you and I as a coach, we have to have supervision Mm -hmm. and psychologists have to have supervision quite rightly to debrief what's been going on but as a you know practicing doctor you yes you get an appraisal once a year and some departments do do supervision but most general practices I know don't at all and then we wonder why we've just been left alone with these beliefs that then self-perpetuate and reinforce in our brain because we've not actually been able to talk them through I mean I know that when I'm in my coaching supervision a lot of it I'm saying well this and the coach and the supervisor going well what story are you telling yourself about that Rachel I'm going oh yes and it's just It's just so, so helpful, but we don't have that structure set up. And the thing that I don't understand is that there is a lot of coaching available for doctors, a lot of free coaching available for doctors, a lot of coaching and mentoring schemes set up in lots of the different areas, and they're not being accessed. People aren't seeing the value of it. I think it, it, it speaks to this whole concept that if I do that, I must be struggling or failing. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what it is or what it can be. And I've certainly spoken to people, friends who said, oh, well, if I go to coaching, they are going to tell me this. I said, no, that is not how it works at all. It's all about sitting alongside you and giving you a space to inspect some of these thoughts and discomforts and really work out what matters to you and how you can move those thoughts along. I think it needs a PR campaign, doesn't it, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that PR for coaching campaign. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, so I think that's one really good way to to deal with when you think you're you've got imposter syndrome, or someone said you've got imposter syndrome, or you're really struggling with those stories in your heads. Check it out with your colleagues. Spend time sharing how you're feeling with each other. Get some coaching or some mentoring or something. Sense check stuff. Keep a journal. Um, practice some self compassion and and some mindfulness as well. I'd love to know any other tips you've got. Sarah in a second. And I've having had this conversation with you, Sarah, I'm beginning to see quite how toxic this concept of imposter syndrome is. Because not only does it blame you for the problem rather than external forces which might be in play play, it actually blames the wrong thing. It's blaming self-doubt, which is actually okay and can be really used for good if we get the, the stories right in our heads. And it's not blaming this perfectionism, this inability to fail or consider that changing things is okay. It, it really puts the emphasis on it's your self-doubt that's the problem and it doesn't acknowledge what the real problem is. So I think we need to completely ditch it. Agreed. Bin it. <laughs> Bin it. Dump it. What, we, yeah. what should we call it instead? <sighs> I think it is too diverse to give it a name. And I, I, in a way, I, I, I'm anti-rebadging something else. <laughs> yeah. I think actually we could call it being human mm. and working in a difficult job. <laughs> right, because who wouldn't feel like that in, in the jobs that we all do, right? Unless yeah. you're a psychopath. <laughs> or a narcissist. Or narcissist, that we know that. You're out there. You are out there, but I don't think this podcast is probably for them. This is for the rest the rest of us mere humans trying to struggle on with a probably a a downplayed version of of who we are in our minds because none of us really see ourselves in the way that other people see us. So Sarah, okay, let's get us out of this. What can we do about it? What top tips have you got for people? What can be helpful when you're trying to recruit some of these thoughts of self-compassion? is to step out of yourself and imagine that you were talking to your best friend, your sister, your partner, and how would you talk to them about the same situation? Because that can be a really powerful method of treating yourself in a completely different way that shows much more self-compassion because acknowledging that we find it hard to receive self-compassion is part of the, part of the challenge, I think. So I love that. And in fact, I was just recording another podcast about how to have difficult conversations. And again, it's treat that person as if they were mm. your best friend. Be kind. And the people where we find it hardest to be kind to, absolutely ourselves. And yeah, I did hear someone say, if you could hear the self-talk that goes on in your brain, you'd be utterly horrified. Like you would never say that, not even to an enemy. So just catch yourself doing it. So, okay, so you can do that. What else can you do? We've talked about journaling, we've talked about coaching, mentoring, we've talked about talking to colleagues, but with a caveat on that, they may be part of the same group think. So that can't, that's not always helpful. I think there are some, there's some really interesting stuff to read about this. I think the marvellous Brené Brown has written a lot about vulnerability and shame and the power of allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And I think that can be really transformative is just saying, 
it's really okay to be honest about who you are and authentic. So an authentic leader, an authentic doctor. And that doesn't mean if somebody asks how you are, you have to go, oh, I feel awful. I've got an ingrown toenail and I didn't like the way the milkman looked at me. It can be, yeah, I'm, I'm, and this is to the right person. I'm having some doubts about my work or this week has felt really hard for me and I'm not really sure why or interacting with these types of people is a struggle and I'm not sure. So it's, it's allowing yourself to, again, it's a way of looking at those thoughts, but going, that's okay. They are my thoughts. All of my thoughts are valid, but how can I be vulnerable, but not feel ashamed of that? Such a great advice. Colleague of mine, Karina Gordon-Barnes, who's often on the podcast too, she'd say about these thoughts that we can identify about some of these stories. She'd say the question or she'd ask the question, where would I be without this thought? If I was incapable of thinking this thought or believing it, where would I be? How would I be acting? And that's like, oh, that's an interesting thing. If I didn't think that, well, I'd just do this. So why don't you just go and do it then? But that's mm. been quite helpful. And I think, yeah, asking for help is really important, not just in the sort of coaching, mentoring, talking to colleagues way, but I think the problem with this belief in imposter syndrome, that self-doubt is, um, is bad, is that we then never ask for help. If we believe that we have to be perfect and, and, and good and feel perfect, we then don't show vulnerability and not asking for help can be really, really serious, particularly in medicine where you could make a massive mistake if you're not able just to admit that you don't know or admit that, you know, you might not have the skill to do this. So you do need to ask for help. And I think understanding that it is okay to fail and make mistakes is really difficult. And I'd refer people back to previous podcasts on that. And, and one thing that I found really helpful recently is changing the stories in our head to I choose to do this so that X, Y, and Z. So if you are working in a job, you've got some self-doubt, you're not quite sure if you've got the skills needed, or you're thinking, ah, am I good enough? You say, well, I'm choosing to work as the leader of this team so that I can help this department progress in this certain way, or so that it will free up this other person. So I choose to work in this job, even if I don't feel fully qualified so that, and there will always be a reason so that, and, and, and focusing on that rather than yourself really, really helps. If I focus on the fact I'm doing this for my family, or I'm doing this for another reason, then actually it doesn't really matter if whatever I think about it. And if I feel that I'm not quite good enough, I'm doing it for a higher cause. And there are things I can do to help myself get better. So seeking training, getting some mentoring, asking for advice, all those sorts of things. And this was illustrated really powerfully for me recently. Um, one of the members of our Permission to Thrive group, which is a membership that Caroline Walker and I run monthly CPD webinars with doctors. Someone came at the end and said, Rachel, I just got to tell you that I've used all this stuff and I was off work and I thought I was just going to leave, but I'm choosing to go back so that, and she get, you know, the re she gave me the reason and that has really helped. And she said, and, and if I feel that it's not for me in the future, I will choose to stop so that, and for her, it just made the difference between being able to go back to work and not being able to go back to work. 
And I just, oh, I just love that. I was so mm. pleased that just changing this story in the head of I have to, I have to, otherwise this will happen, but I choose to so that. And that was really powerful. So I think that can help in this sort of situation as well. Absolutely. It can really help you feel like you've got some agency. And I think it can be very common to, to feel that you, you don't have any control, you don't have any power, that you're in a situation that you cannot influence. But just have, even if you are unhappy with some of the areas, if you can inspect it all, go, well, how can I maximize this, but still decide to stay, it is now my choice to stay. It is very powerful. Yeah. I think it applies to everything as well. You know, when I first started doing the podcast, I had no idea of how to do the podcast. <laughs> and I guess it would have been, I'm choosing to put out this podcast, even though it's far from perfect. And it is still far from perfect. And any feedback people have got from me, very gratefully received. But I choose to so that I can share all this stuff that I found helpful with other people. So I choose to risk failing or not doing a very good job of it so that I can get better and so that the stuff gets out there. Is this making any sense? It really is. And I've, I've just started doing a six minute success journal and it's this brilliant book and it's got lots of stuff about mindfulness and setting goals and values. But what I love about it is that it makes you write every day. This will day will be a success if, and you can put that one thing and that might be, I order my online shop or I buy home insurance. It's up to you. And I've chosen for that to be as small as possible because I think we can often set ourselves these goals that are almost insurmountable and then crucify ourselves for not getting there. And how do you get that reward, that dopamine hit, that feeling of success if you're constantly looking at something that's really, really big? So breaking it down into smaller bits what will be a success for you today is a really, I have found a fantastic question. I love that journal. Someone gave that to me for Christmas a couple of years ago and I've just used it ever since. It's brilliant. Oh, really? Well, thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful. And I've noticed that I started off by, you're right, just going, today will be a success if I finish this huge project and if mm. I do this and that. And actually it's enough, today will be success if I, manage to do those webinars I'm doing well <laughs> you know let's not put everything else in let's just get through the work to, for today and it really does change your perspective I'd really recommend it we'll put maybe put a link to that mm. in the show notes for people so right we need to wrap up Sarah um yes you've already given us lots of lots of tips but three really quick top tips okay so number one are your thoughts internal or external? Are your, are your self-doubts self-generated or is it the organisation? Number two, making sure that it's not just you inspecting those thoughts rolling around your head and finding a way of doing that. And number three, finding a way to find that self-compassion. How, how can you treat yourself in a way that somebody else would be treated by you? Oh, love that. My three top tips are it's okay not to be perfect and no one is. Number two, get a tribe around you. Get a tribe of allies who can feed back to you really neutrally 
about stuff or with compassion. And my final one would be just use the phrase, I choose to, so that, and I think that be very empowering for people. And have we agreed we're ditching the phrase imposter syndrome? Yeah, it's gone. Right. I think I might call <laughs> this episode why we need to ditch the phrase imposter syndrome. We'll have to bleep it out every time somebody says it. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can feel a whole course and webinars coming up there on this. <laughs> You've got it's, me thinking. It's banned. <laughs> it's banned from now on. Brilliant. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being on. So helpful. If people want to find more about you and your work, where can they go? Yeah, I'm basically drsarahgolding.com is my website. And I'm at drsarahgolding, golding with a U in it, at Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter but they can email me at hello at drsarahgolding.com. Fantastic. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. And so we're going to have to get you back another time to talk about another thing around careers, around our internal thoughts, all those sorts of things. Will you come back? Definitely. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Pleasure. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.